The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Now, last week we started a series called I Love Grace. I Love Grace. And we talked about two things, two principles last week. Does grace have a plan? Does grace have a plan? And grace was found first in the Bible in the sixth chapter of Genesis when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the plan was build a boat. I don't care if it's right in your front yard. Build a boat. I'm going to put you in that boat. I'm going to take you through storms of about 40 days. I'm going to let you float on the water for about 150 days. And I'm going to land you higher than you ever thought you'd land in your life. And you're going to repopulate the earth. That's grace. Grace has a plan. But then we ask, is grace sufficient? Jesus told Paul, red letter edition, my grace is sufficient. Now, is it sufficient? We studied. We studied about the ark. And the ark, when it was built, it was was the size of 569 boxcars on a a train. And we understand that the boxcars and all that they had, all all the room they had in that ark could house the animals plus another whole kingdom of animals. God did not pack the ark. There was sufficient room in the ark. He's not just enough. He's more than enough. Amen. The grace of God is so wonderful. So today for just the next 23, 22, 23 minutes, if you can't take a 22, 23 minute sermon, I'll have to cut it down to 15 for some of y'all. But we're going to preach a little bit on I love grace part two. I love grace. And I'm going to speak today what is so amazing about grace. Look at your neighbor and say, what's so amazing about it? John Newton wrote the song. We're going to preach about it. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among who also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, His poema, His song, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everybody say, what's so amazing about grace? I'm fixing to tell you. You may be seated. Brother Corey, would you stand? Brother Corey, would you stand up? Son, would you stand up? I want to brag on you. Corey Redding played 13 years in the National Football League, played Texas ball right here. Came back and graduated last Saturday. Got his degree. I love it, son. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. Woo! Man, that's what you call finishing. That's what you call finishing. Now go ahead and get your doctorate. Get you a private practice, and I'll come see you when I get sick. We talk about grace. We sing about grace. But there are people here and there are people there who do not know what's so amazing about it. Because it's not a power thing. 
It's a thing that just happens in our life. The majority of people in our nation do not know what grace is. Most popular hymn on the YouTube, folks, I looked it up, 38 million listeners, 38 million was Amazing Grace, sung by just one person. Then there were several others sung by other artists. Florence Latow asked an audience one day while speaking about what is grace. And a little girl in the front row in a white dress, about seven years old, she said, I know, I know, Miss Latow. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And so she called the little girl up on the stage with her in this big auditorium and said, now can you explain what that means? And the little girl said, ma'am, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Not just seven-year-olds don't have a clue. A lot of people don't have a clue what grace means. Paul said it this way. He said, I choose not to frustrate the grace of God. But if righteousness, or for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain. There's some things, folks, that the law just can't do. It just cannot do. Oh, it's a schoolmaster, but it cannot save you. And it will not save you. But one day Jesus went to a cross for us and gave us the grace that only he can give. There's not a person in the nation of America that should not understand the awesomeness of grace. This nation was founded on religious freedom. And if we like the scripture, like in the scripture passage to mountain ranges, I think by grace you are saved would be the Himalayas. I think it'd be the tall peaks. This passage towers above all others in the Bible. It contains the highest biblical truth. Everybody say, by God's grace, by God's grace. We, are we are saved. Not by works, lest any man should boast. The apostle Paul said that among faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. But if Paul had included grace on that list, I have a feeling that grace would have topped the list. But Paul didn't include grace because he was comparing things which abide. Now there abideth faith and hope and charity. Grace does not abide. It, does not, it did not exist before Adam's fall because it wasn't necessary. Nor will it exist after the final judgment because there will be no grace for those who did not accept it on earth. And they go to the other place called hell. And those in glory will not have no need for it. But today, today, right now, today is the age of grace. Turn to somebody and say, what's so amazing about grace? Here's one answer. It's right now for us. Amen. It's a right now grace. But there's some things that I want to just declare to you today. Grace is so amazing because, number one, it's so rare. It's just rare. Grace is rare. The world doesn't operate by grace. The world operates by equity. The world operates by non-equity or inequity. There's crime, there's theft, there's deceit. It's really a, a, a quid pro quo is what it is. It's a this for a that. It's, it's you pay me and I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you pay me. That's where it's at. It's the antithesis of grace. Grace gives without expecting anything back. Grace overshadows without expecting anybody to look up and say, wow, I've just been covered by something. One man who was a comedian meant this in jest, but this is what he said. When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized the Lord doesn't work that way, so I went out and stole one and asked God to forgive me. <laughs> That's how people operate in our society. If I need something, well, you know, instead of asking permission, I'll just ask for forgiveness. And that's how the world operates. But grace is so rare. But you're sitting in a house today where grace still is abundant. Grace is still abounding. And grace is still a part of our lives and our hearts. Clap your hands real big and rejoice in that. 
Grace is rare. It's very rare. Number two, grace is amazing because it's undeserved, totally undeserved. Undeserved, folks, is really a definition of mercy and not grace. You see, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is lower than grace. And love is lower than grace. It really is. Because love caused the Lord to forgive our sins before we ever knew that we were sinners. That's grace. You give a beggar $5 on the street, that's what we call undeserved favor because he didn't do anything. They say they'll work for food or money, but they really won't. So you have to just give them some undeserved favor. But if that same beggar, hear me now, broke into your home and killed your family and took your family out, and you found him later and you gave him $5 million. Now that's grace. See what I'm saying? Grace is much more expensive. It's much more costly than mercy. Grace is the absolute favor to one who deserves absolute disfavor. So when Jesus Christ died for us, he gave us favor when we didn't deserve favor. He gave us a gift when we didn't deserve that gift. I stand here today as a pastor of this church saying, thank you, Lord. For the undeserved favor that I have received in my life. Aren't you glad when you were walking down the road of destruction, favor showed up and God turned you around? I'm happy to tell you that grace still works. It's undeserved, but it's still here in our lives and hearts today. Clap your hands and rejoice. Nobody can be neutral. You're either for him or you're against him. He gives grace to those who are opposed to him. He died for the ungodly. See, many think that God helps those who help themselves. And in a way, God does. God loves people. But I call that responsible people responsible to this thing called the law of grace. Grace is awesome. Grace is a mighty, mighty thing. I love grace. I love grace. When I went through my problems, when my brother took his life and I was so angry with my brother, I was so aggravated at him, God spoke to me and said, hey, 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 don't be angry at him. Go out and honor him. And I went out and honored him. But every now and then, that old feeling of getting angry at my brother because he did what he did to himself, it rises up in me. But then I realized that one that was greater than all of us died for all of us. And I can lift my voice and lift my head and lift my thoughts to what he did for me. And I rejoice in the fact that grace covers a multitude of sin. Amen. Grace covers a multitude of sin. There's nothing like the grace of God. People raised in religious settings sometimes think they have added this, this God thing and done all things right. But let me say something. I don't care if you've been in the church 15 years or 40 years or five months. It doesn't matter. Every one of you here still need the grace of God in your life every day. We can't make it without God's grace. We're all infected with this root problem called sin. And I promise you, left unchecked, we all go back to the basic rudiments of what we were birthed in. All have this. We have all sinned and come short. God threw sin out of heaven one day and sin will not be able to enter there. But I found in the Bible that grace is never sought and that bothered me. It bothered me. Psalms chapter 10 said the wicked through the pride of their countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Romans 3, Paul said there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. But even though people don't seek after God, grace is not sought. Grace is still abounding and abundant for everybody in their lives. 
Anybody remember the night that grace arrested you? Come on now. Come on now. Anybody remember that night? I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my heart rolled away. But also grace cannot be bought. You just have to receive it. The thing that, third thing that makes grace so amazing is that it's powerful. It's powerful. The most powerful thing in this earth is the grace of God that sets men free. I have seen people, I have seen people choked down by alcoholism. I've seen folks overwhelmed with drug addictions. I've seen people with addictions of all kind like lasciviousness and vile and vulgar. But the Bible said he makes that all clean. There's nothing like the grace of God. No, he's not going to come up and grab you by the collar and shake it into you. But he's just going to flood you with his glorious grace. And you're riding in a sea of his love. There was a mutiny. Uh, there was a movie several years ago called Mutiny on the Bounty. And it's a true story. It's about a heartless captain. Let me just tell you the story real quickly, just a cliff note version. The captain's name was Bly. The, sailor, the sailors on that boat were rough hewn. And they were led by a man named Christian, believe it or not, although he wasn't one. And there was nine British sailors who fled when the mutiny was, uh, when the, the bounty was mutinized. Nine Tahitian wives. And then there was five Tahitians, including five wives and a chieftain. And they found, they found this place called Pitcairn Island. And the Maori Tahitians built an altar to their God, a God that we don't worship. And the British did not build an altar because there was no God. So there wasn't a God on that island. And soon after, soon after, there were killings and there was all kind of debauchery. There was another book written in 1959 called The Lord of the Flies. And it was about some teenage boys that lived something similar on an island when they came out of England. But it was a fictionist book. It was about killings, but it was fiction. Mutiny was a fact. It was truth. Some of the natives killed the British men and three of the Tahitian wives of the British men cut off the heads of the killers. It was anger. It was anger at its highest peak. The biggest and roughest of them one night woke up with an axe in his head. He didn't wake up. He woke up somewhere else. McCoy drank so much that he lost his mind and ran off a 500-foot cliff to his death. And soon, because of all the killings and all the murders and all the debauchery, there was only two men left, a man named Young and a man named Smith. And Young knew how to read. And one day, searching around in a chest, they found a Bible in a chest. Hallelujah. I don't care how tough it's been in your life. I don't care how bad you've been. There's something about finding this thing called the Word of God. Come on now. And Young started showing Smith how to read the Bible. And they turned to the New Testament and realized that the word grace or charis, which means also gift, is found 150 times in the New Testament. And when they started seeing that and realizing how, how bad they were and what a debauchery they were in and how tough that their life had been, they said, we'll turn our hearts to the Lord. And they repented on that island. And both men were converted. Young later died of natural causes. The only one on that island up to that time that had died of natural causes. They had arrived at Pitcairn in 1789, the year of our Constitution. They didn't know that. But Smith changed his name to John Adams. And he began a new colony because Britain was still looking for him because they had mutinized the bounty and they had stolen the British ship. Soon after, soon after, Adam started teaching all the people the Bible. He started teaching the Bible. That was their classes, the Bible. And soon everyone on that island was converted. Children were born. They became Christians, were baptized. Finally, 20 years later, 20 years later, the first British ship discovered them. And they were so amazed at the peaceful and the blissful 
community that they had created on that island. All because that grace, grace, no preacher, no choir, no church house, just the word of God and a word called grace had turned that island around. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands right now and tell the Lord I'm so glad that you turned my life around with that word called grace. You didn't see that in the movie, but the charges were dropped against that whole bunch on that island. They didn't show that because they didn't want to show the power of God changing lives because grace is powerful. It's powerful. I was in a revival one night at New Orleans, Louisiana, and a woman who was so, so out of it with drugs walked in and said, do you think God can change this? And she was shaking. She was so nervous because she was in church and she was very nervous, didn't know what was going to happen. And I calmly laid my hands on her head and said, God, change this girl. Change her from what she thinks she's going to always be into what you know she can be. And God touched that girl. She fell to her knees. She repented of her sins, was water baptized. The Holy Ghost came into her life. Hallelujah. About seven months later, I was preaching at another place and I saw a person walk in. And I didn't recognize her. I knew she wasn't a part of that church because some of the churches I preached in back then didn't have but about 40 or 50 people in them. And I knew everybody in the church by the third night. And she walked in the door and I said, there's a new person. Maybe she needs Jesus tonight. She walked up to him and said, you don't recognize me, do you, Pastor? And I, uh, Brother Rex, I said, no, I don't. I, I don't recognize you at all. She said, I'm the woman you prayed for in New Orleans. I'm the woman you prayed for in New Orleans. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like the grace of God to get a hold of lives and turn lives around. You hear me? It's powerful. It's wonderful. It's glorious. The fourth thing that makes grace so amazing is that it's expensive. It's expensive. It costs a lot of money. <laughs> we are impressed. I, I, have, I have three daughters that are impressed with things that cost a lot of money. In fact, I, I got, to, I got to, um, the Taj Mahal and the Hope Diamond. You know the Hope Diamond's got 46.52 carrots. A few potatoes and a few onions too, but it's got carrots. And I, I, I'm, I, I've got a daughter right now that thinks that that ought, that ought to be around her neck. She works for me. It's the oldest girl. She's, ever since she was this big, she loved jewelry. And that Hope Diamond's probably what she's, it's her bucket list. I, whatever. But if we had that Hope Diamond, if we had that Hope Diamond on display out there in that cafe, a lot of y'all would be cutting out right now saying, I got to go see that instead of hear this boring preacher preach. Because there's something about expensive stuff that draws our attention. The Taj Mahal is one of those things. Yet, 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 it's not nearly as expensive as the grace of God which was purchased at the expense of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But stop, I've got another yet. No matter how expensive it is, I got news for you, it's free. How many people do you know would give away something 
that's more expensive than the Hope Diamond, that is greater than the Taj Mahal, that's greater than all the money in the world. How many people do you know would give that away today? I'm pointing to a Savior that says, my grace is so sufficient, it's so powerful, it's so undeserved, it's so rare, it's so expensive, and yet it is free today. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. Father, I thank you for giving us of your glory. I raised three beautiful daughters and all of them are in the church and they love God and I'm so, I'm so happy that my kids love God. And in fact, I've, I've told people before, if something happened to me, my kids would be the first ones to come and check on me say, Daddy, you need to get your hide back in church. They're that kind of kids. I love, I love kids that grow up in church and learn to love church. But I used to, Dr. Al, I used to, I used to give my kids Christmas bonuses, okay? Okay, here's $100 for you, Cass. Here's $100 for you, Misty. Here's $100 for you, Caitlin. Go out and buy yourselves. Go out and buy your sister something. Go out and buy mom something. Get them something. Get them something nice. I never said buy your daddy anything. Never did. Because I, I, I'm the father. And so we'd get around the tree at Christmas time. And then everybody, they'd bring a gift to me. Socks. <laughs> they say, Daddy, here's the wordage. Here's, the, here's how they framed it. Look what I bought for you. And I didn't want to say, baby, you didn't buy me nothing. I blessed you. You didn't work down at Chick-fil-A to get that money. I blessed you with money to go buy something for somebody else. And you come back with the audacity <laughs> to tell me, look what I bought for you. Now they understand they got kids. And I'm sorry, I'm messing you up, kids, on your doctrine now. I'm sorry, you children. Daddy is always behind it. I remember when Roger, uh, Roger Maris hit 61, or 61 home runs in 1961. I really, I really remember that. I followed the Yankees that year. Mickey Mantle had 58 that year. And then in September the 8th, 1998, Mark McGuire in St. Louis, I'm a Cardinal fan, Mark McGuire in St. Louis hit number 62. And in the stands that day, right behind home plate, were four seats that were filled by Roger Maris's kids. Roger Maris's kids, 61 to 98. The new home run king reigned with an asterisk. But he reigned. And Roger Maris's kids were there that night, not for anything that they did. Because none of them played pro ball. None of them were probably even that good of athletes. But daddy had set a standard. And daddy had done something great in Yankee Stadium so many years ago that they were honored that night in St. Louis to see Mark McGuire hit number 62. And here's what I want to tell you. There is no one good save the Lord. There's no one good save the Lord. And everything we are belongs to him. I told the first session, put your hands in your pocket. You feel any money? You feel some car keys? Feel a house key? All that stuff that you have in there, God gave it to you. God gave it to you. 
Come on, look around, pat your kids on the head. Everything that you have, God put in your life. God, God put in your life. It's time that we honor and acknowledge the grace of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts and in our lives. And no wonder, no wonder the Samaritan came running back to Jesus because he didn't really know. He didn't really know how to be abusive to a Savior because he came unto his own and his own received him not. But he was a Samaritan and when he got healed of leprosy, he came back and said, thanks, Lord. Every now and then, every now and then, every now and then, you need to look up and say, Lord, you know, I can't give you anything that you don't have except one thing. I can give you my praise. I can give you my praise. And nobody can praise him like you can. Come on, we need about five, six hundred people right here in this service right now to praise him in your own way. Come on, thank him. Thank him for the grace of God. Thank him for the joy of the Lord. Thank him because he has brought you out a mighty long way. Nobody. Nobody can praise him like I can praise him. Brother Randy, if you'll help me. I'm done. I'm done. By the way, I will share this with you in the month of June. I'm going to start a little end time preaching here. Not a little. I'm going to talk about some end time stuff here. And I want you to be a part of that. I'll give you plenty of notice to be here. I'm going to take several Sundays, probably four or five Sundays, to talk about where we are in Bible prophecy. I have connected myself to some things that I feel are pertinent for this church to hear. But I'm so happy for grace today. Amen. Amen. Her name was her name was Charlotte Elliott. She had a great voice. She lived in a place and everybody in the house was saved but her. And one day a pastor came named Cesar Milan to visit her. And she asked that man, she said, I, I, I really would like to come to the Lord, but how do I come to him? What can I bring him? How can I do it? He said, come just as you are. Just as you are. And she took the words of that preacher and went back into her room and locked herself in and fell down on her knees and beside her bed began to weep and cry and repented of her sins. And God came into that room and touched her repentant heart and saved her soul. And about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, she got up and got her a pen and she wrote, Just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relieve. Because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Billy Graham used it for years and years. And it's still the same message today. It's just as we are. You can't get good to get God. You get God to get good. 